Positive. 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 Imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive achievements inspire positive thought and action. Exceptional people rising to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Knoll. Check out his music and learn more about him at chrisknoll.com. C-H-R-I-S. N-O-L-E. Fabulous music and lots of new music, too. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out my YouTube channel, Your Positive Imprint. Visit my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can sign up for podcast updates and also follow this podcast. Under the play button is a subscribe button that will take you to easy links for some podcast platforms. You can also listen and follow my show from your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon Music, including Alexa. Or, of course, listen from your favorite podcast platform. Please hit that subscribe or follow button now. This is a free podcast. Today's episode is also available on my YouTube channel, which includes photos and videos of birds as well as bird calls. Your positive imprint. What's your P.I.? In order to see birds, it is necessary to become a part of the silence. Robert Lind. Well, birding is a great pastime. I absolutely love being with the birds. It can be done with others or, of course, by yourself. It is peaceful. Susie Buttress brings to you birding from the United Kingdom. She walks and she listens. What she sees and what she hears brings her joy. Today, she shares her joy and her positive imprints. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's lovely to be here. I'm just so excited to have you here and to hear not just about you and your positive imprints, but my gosh, the birds over in United Kingdom and what life is like for them and what's in store for them for their future. That's quite (laughs) quite a subject, really. Yes, so I'm very much a garden bird watcher. I'm at my best where I'm in a location where I'm surrounded by birds and I can just watch them come and go, watch their behaviours with each other and just wait and see what's going to turn up. As a lot of us around the world are finding at the moment, we are quite restricted to where we can go. And in the UK at the moment, we are in another lockdown. So for the next few weeks, we will be restricted to our homes and only able to go out for short periods. And those are for exercise, not for leisure. So I'm doing my best over the next few weeks to do as I've done in the last year, to really look at the birds that visit. I'm lucky enough to have a garden and to really look at the birds that visit my garden. One of the amazing things about having my show, the Casual Birder podcast, is that I'm in connection with people all around the world. And we're all sharing our local birds with each other. And so even though I can only look out and see the few species that come to my garden, I'm very much aware of what other people are seeing. And it's that joy of sharing what we're seeing 
and what we're hearing. It's um, that's just been really um, heartening to me over this last sort of year. You mentioned there about the things that the birds are facing, the situations they're facing. And I have to be honest that up till quite recently, probably until I started my show, although I was aware of some of the, the bigger issues facing our wildlife and birds, it's only since I've been connecting with experts in the field and reading more and more about specific species that I've realised what threats, what real threats a lot of the wildlife and a lot of birds are under. And that has been quite an eye-opener to me. It's helped me go through some times of despair, really, wondering what on earth I can do, but also making me hope for the future that, you know, the new generations are coming in. There are things that we can all do that will try to redress the balances of some of the some of the things that have happened to the birds. And I can talk about that in a little while. But um, but for the moment, the, the real key thing for me is seeing the birds, seeing what goes on each day and seeing the little dramas in the garden and how that changes through the year. I love what the dramas in the garden. <laughs> that's beautiful. And that's... We've been having them today, I tell you. <laughs> well, and, and they do have their own lives, as any organism does. And But that's a, a beautiful, eloquent way to put it. Dramas in the garden or dramas in the trees, dramas in the desert. I love it. I think that is just really an interesting way to look at it. We're going to kind of go to this beginning of what even got you started, because not everybody understands or can bring in that drama that you're talking about in a way that they're able to reflect or become more active in some way within their own community because of something that changed them within nature, within wildlife. So what brought you to even look at your garden in a different way? So I've always been a fan of birds. Ever since I was a small child, I can remember we lived next to a, a playing field and I would go and sit on that playing field and sort of, in those days, I would throw bread out because we didn't know any better. You know, that's what you fed birds when I was young, <laughs> all those years ago. And um, just willing them to come to me. And I definitely had delusions of wanting to be like Snow White. <laughs> you know, I wanted to have my arms out. I wanted the Bambies to fly, <laughs> to, to come galloping up to me, rabbits to bring ribbons and the birds to, to come and land on me. And that's just been something that's been with me since very small, being a very small child. And I can remember we had big uh, picture windows in our living room and it looked out onto the garden. And I would lay for hours on my tummy just with my hands under my chin, looking out into the garden, watching what birds came. And we would we would only have a few species that came to the garden. But at that time, we would get quite large numbers of those species. And so I could just sit for hours just watching them coming in. And it was actually quite a long time before I realised that we had a lot of variety of birds within the UK. When I was young, I had lots of like encyclopedias of, of animals around the world and birds around the world. And and these encyclopedias often had very colourful birds from, say, Africa or India. And I always thought, 
you know, we have these brown sparrows, we have these brownish blackbirds, and we have these brownish starlings. And they were all wonderful because they've all got their all, all their own characters. But I didn't really feel like we had anything colourful. We had blue tits and that tiny little flash of blue and yellow was about the only real colour I, I really ever remember seeing. But I would look in all these encyclopedias and there would be amazing bee eaters and rollers and they were just fantastic colours. And of course, the peacock with its amazing feathers. But as I got older, finally got a bird book of my own for the UK, I realised we've got an amazing number of species in, in the UK. And some of those are highly coloured. Some of them are, you know, quite unusual plumage patterns. And I just hadn't really realised because in my suburban garden, you know, I was just seeing these birds. So as I got older, I, I looked into that more. It became a kind of um, target with myself. You know, I'd look through the bird books and try and find one that I thought you know, I'd like to see. And if we were lucky enough to go on holiday somewhere where those birds might be, I'd look for them. I was never very successful. I've only ever been really successful looking at the birds that are frequently found. I'm, And I've realised that the reason I wasn't successful wasn't because, wasn't because I didn't try hard enough, but I guess I, I realised that I didn't really have the drive to. I'm not what some people call twitchers. I'm not the sort of person that um, will, you know, go for miles and miles and miles just to see this one bird. It's lovely if I see them. But I actually recognise within myself that what I am is definitely a casual birder. I'm very passionate about birds. But what I want to do is kind of sit in a location and let them be around me. I don't want to chase off after that one elusive bird. And I've I listen to others who do that and I'm very impressed with their passion, but it's just not me. For me, it's the sitting, the watching and the seeing what goes on. One of the things that I hope to inspire people is that, you know, you don't have to have grown up knowing everything there is to know about nature to appreciate nature. You know, we all have our jobs, we all have our paths in life and we all have an equal opportunity to understand what's out there and, and be able to get out and, and see the birds or to listen for the birds. We don't have to all be David Attenborough. You know, we, we can have just a small part of our lives be filled with wildlife. But it's it's just finding that spark, finding that encouragement to get people out there to, to look. Because one of the things that I've learned that I hadn't really realised before was how important it is for all of us to do our, our part in helping species survive and it's so easy to switch off from the natural world you know if, if you live in a city if you live in a town you know you've spoken to me about you know being up in in the mountains being out in the woods we don't all have those opportunities and I think when we're surrounded by cities when we're surrounded by technology when we're surrounded by today's world we can find ourselves very closed off from our natural world and it's important to realise that even within those cities, the natural world is there and it's trying to encourage people to take notice because the more we take notice, the more we realise what's happening in the natural world, the more each of us individually can do something um, about maintaining it and improving it and bringing back species that have started to decline and get lost. And that, I think, is so important and that's really an ultimate goal of yours, I know, and that's part of your positive imprints. So what 
are your activities that you are doing at this time in your life as an adult where you're able to bring the natural world to people so that they become aware and then maybe become active in protection of the species? So I think my first message to people is through my podcast, and I hope to spread the idea that anyone can take joy in the natural world. So I start by saying, let's notice it. Let's enjoy what we're seeing. And I think finding that passion of enjoyment first is an important step towards later on moving towards conservation and supporting the species. So I'm, I kind of see myself, you know, on the continuum of people that are doing major things for nature and for people who are not doing anything at all. I'm possibly towards the not doing anything at all, except that I'm moving up the scale. And so whereas before I just had a totally personal view of the birds that I saw, totally personal enjoyment of the birds that I saw, by having the podcast and learning more about what I want to share with other people and realising that I'm helping other people to find nature and helping other people to enjoy what they're seeing, I'm moving myself up the continuum towards, you know, doing doing real good for nature. And I'm hopefully inspiring a few people along the way to realise that any of us can get involved, any of us can find joy. As we find joy, we learn more about species. As we learn more about the species, we start to learn about what's happening in the natural world and, and how we've treated the natural world. And so I'm kind of at that stage myself now where I'm trying to do good, I'm trying to be ethical and I'm trying to do the right things in order that my impact on the world is not as great as it might have been previously. I'm not perfect and I'm still making mistakes, but I'm trying to learn. What I hope to do is bring other people along with me and then I learn from those people who are further up that scale and I, you know, I can aspire to to being like them or to understanding what they're telling me so that I can implement some of the things that they tell me. So things like, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a garden, as I mentioned, so making sure that I'm not using weed killers, I'm not using chemicals in the garden, that I'm planting native plants. This is a work in progress. I'm not saying I'm anywhere perfect. My garden currently is very much a wildlife garden in that it's full of wild stuff. It's not at all manicured. And I think that's a key thing that I'm learning, that manicuring having a manicured lawn, having a manicured garden. Yes, it looks lovely in pictures. It's not so great for wildlife. So it's trying to find that balance because if each of us in our own little spaces can bring in nectar plants, can bring in insects that help the, the birds that then, you know, help the environment. If we can all do that, each of our gardens becomes like a an extension of the others. So at the moment, we're kind of like all individual little islands and if our gardens are all helping the natural world, it joins up. It becomes more of like an oasis in, in, in the area. And um, gradually those islands expand and it means the habitats are brought back because, you know, we're a small island here in, in England we're, um, or in the UK. We, we, um, we have a lot of people in a small space and we have demands on the environment. But we've lost a lot of species and we are losing a lot of species there must be a balance, there must be a way to stop the decline. 
And I think a lot of that is to do with, you know, being more aware of how we live our lives, how we use our open spaces and not just stripping, stripping everything bare and thinking that that looks great. You know, it's, it's learning. But anyway, so I, I see everything as being on a continuum. You know, I'm, I'm down one end of the continuum. I'm striving to move to the other end. I'm learning from people ahead of me, but I'm hoping that I'm bringing people along with me as I move. I'm seeing a lot more energy and a lot more impactful behavior from the younger people, the people that are in nature, the people that are starting out in bird watching, in nature education. I've been really amazed. I, I have taken a very long time to get to a point where I'm able to share what I'm learning about nature. And these people are doing it from, you know, from being sort of 14, 15 onwards. and really, really passionate. They can see what's happened to the world and they can see what needs to be done. And in fact, I, when I talk about the path that I'm following, I don't mean in terms of age, because the people ahead of me on the path are often younger than me. You know, <laughs> I'm an older person now, um, which is shocking for me to even consider. But um, there are so many people who have got their minds around nature much earlier. And I'm just, you know, enthralled by them. But I really would like to know that even the older people amongst us <laughs> are taking the time to share knowledge with maybe their younger family members, you know, just things like I remember my dad taking me out to and we weren't a particularly nature loving family necessarily. But my dad would always tell me about, you know, that he'd seen some foxes or he'd seen some rabbits and it was things we didn't see. So he would take me out. And the very fact of being taken out by an adult or being taken out by someone in your family to to look at the natural world starts to build up memories. It's not just the seeing the natural world. It's the relationships as well. And, um, you know, we can all have like mentors that that encourage us to do things like that. And even just on the basic level of, you know, during the autumn, picking up leaves and looking at leaves and learning what trees they come from and kicking up leaves and bringing acorns back and making collages. And I think all of those things are really important because it starts you learning, you know, what are these things called? How do they fit in with other things? Why are they important to those species? And these are all questions that you can get children to start asking or learning, you know, just not thinking of birds as just birds. But, you know, OK, you might go to the park and there might be ducks and there might be pigeons and there might be gulls. What is it that's different about those? You know, perhaps you look at their feet and see they've got different types of feet. So, OK, why do they have different types of feet? Well, it's because some swim some wade and some stay on the land and they have different feet because of that and it, there's so many questions and comments and things you can learn just by looking at the species uh, seeing what they eat and I think all these things are things you can start with children really really young but that will start to encourage them to just question the environment and question what's going on around them and look for themselves and learn for themselves and I think Asking questions and getting people to find the answers with guidance rather than just telling people, oh, that's a sparrow. That's a you know, I, I think, yes, if people ask you what species is that, tell them. But it's kind of like, you know, look at what that species is doing. What, you know, they are found in the mid level of, of the trees. They're not found on the ground. They're doing this. They're doing that. You know, why is that the case? And yes. Well, I absolutely love this conversation 
because it brings up a lot of interesting uh, topics and some of it is education within the schools because oftentimes teachers are so bound because of administration. They're so bound by a textbook that they don't take the kids out or when the kids are out at recess or free time, whatever it might be called around the world, but their playtime, that they're not out there helping to identify the world around them. And when you mentioned the ACORN project, and that is such a perfect, perfect example of how parents and even other siblings or aunts, uncles, or teachers can help get students, get children involved, is the understanding. And I love that you brought that example because too often it becomes an art project and nothing beyond that. So thank you so much for bringing that up. And everything that you're saying is just so well said and eloquently said. And I really appreciate the inspiration and the positive imprints that you're bringing to the world globally with regard to species of birds and not just birds. You're, you're talking about so much more. And that is so needed. Your voice is important. And give yourself more credit because you are one of those voices and you are a mentor for others in order to understand the world around, around them and to find that joy. Absolutely. I mentioned earlier that there was some drama in our garden. And just today, there were four blackbirds in the garden which is unusual because there's usually only one or two, male and a female, there were some usurpers that had come in the garden today. And all day long, they have been vying for, I guess, territory. There must be some two two new incomers. And they've been chasing around the garden and, you know, yelling at each other. And there was even a sort of a bit of a um, an attack between two of them. And total drama. But, you know, you could so easily overlook that because it's just, oh, yeah, they're just birds. They're just in the garden. They're not, you know, they're not colourful. They're not... But there's things going on all the time. And of course, we're in winter now and we've still got some winter to come. But I've already noticed that some of the springtime songs are starting. So already the birds are noticing, you know, the days are getting longer. They're starting to work towards you know, getting their territories going. It's just such a, an exciting time of year when, when you have these seasons. You know, you know we're going to be working our way towards... Um, the breeding season and there's going to be so much song in the air Um, and I know it's not as much song as it used to be because we've lost a lot of birds but we're still there and if you get the opportunity to listen um, I'm sure it will thrill you just to hear all the different birds that are out there. I want to ask you because I'm I'm thinking about my favorite bird call which I just love and I'm thinking about one of my favorite birds. I have a lot of favorite birds but one in particular. Do you have a favorite bird? Oh, I want to I hear yours. <laughs> well, I'll share mine. But... Go on, then. <laughs> so my favorite uh, water bird happens to be the common loon, or any loon. The Arctic loon, the loon. I absolutely love the call. I am so enthralled by their call. And it's so mystique and mysterious and... You can really get lost in, I'm a writer, so I love to write and I love to write poetry. And you can really get lost in writing a story just about their call. And it doesn't have to be eerie. I know a lot of people see the loon as this eerie thing, but 
the loon is just magnificent. And so when I took my first trip to Canada and I saw the loon, I fell in love. Oh, <laughs> I can absolutely appreciate that. I, um, I've never seen them in their summer plumage. I would absolutely love to see. I've seen lots of drawings. I've seen wood carvings. I've seen paintings. I've seen them in their winter plumage. But I have heard them call, and absolutely, that that sound, sort of just coming out across a lake, is just. I, I I can see how some people might think of it as eerie, but it's just haunting. I think it's more. It's it really gets you inside, and especially if you've got a, a slightly misty day, and you can hear, and everything is so still. And you can hear that calling at eye. I absolutely know what you mean. Absolutely. Um, and there's so many other birds that I love, but I'm just going to bring up the loon just because of the call. So what's your favorite? Oh, gosh. Like you, I, there, there, there are so many, and it depends on the situation. So, for example, you talk of Canada, and we've spent lots of holidays, lots of vacations in Nova Scotia. And the place that we stayed, we would go back to because we loved it was kind of like pretending that we lived on the ocean, you know, just for these two weeks of a year. And uh, there would be lots and lots of black-capped chickadees around. And I absolutely, when I first heard the call of the chickadee, the, the call that says chickadee-dee-dee, I was like, oh, my yes. gosh, it says it. <laughs> um, and, and because they're so, apart from anything else, they, they were quite trusting, so very quickly, they would learn that I, I was a bird table. You know, I'd be holding nuts or sunflower seeds out. They would just come and take them from my hand. So straight away, I was living the Snow White life. I had birds coming to me and landing on me, taking the food. And that was just heaven. So definitely, I love chickadees. I love blue jays. Um, I, <laughs> I know I keep talking about the birds that you have rather than the birds that I have. My, my absolute favorite song is the Song of the Blackbird. But it's really closely followed by the song of the robin, the song of the goldfinch. The, the, the songs that you hear in the springtime and the summer that the birds are using to uh, mark their territories, to call for mates. There's something so exciting about hearing those gorgeous fluty songs and just, you know, there's music that's around us and it's free. <laughs> we, we, we can just hear it. It's, it's just wonderful. But you know, there's other little calls, and it's it's learning the calls as well, learning what what they're telling us. You know, that they very quickly spot if there's a hawk or an owl nearby, and they will create. And you, once a couple of them are doing it, it pulls more in. They're all yelling and screaming, and I, and we have birds here that do the same thing. You know, they'll mob a bird of prey or they'll mob an owl if you're lucky enough to see one. And a lot of people will ignore that or just think oh what's all that noise and actually if you listen to the noise and trace it you may well see something bigger and more perhaps more exciting than you had thought was even there but I, I just think there's a lot of people that go through life not even noticing the natural sounds but having the show and I'm very much aware that you know a lot of my listeners are over in the United States it's helped me learn more. They tell me about the birds they're seeing. And if I'm not familiar with those birds, I can now, you know, look up on uh, the Audubon website. I can look at, I can go to Cornell and look at their videos and listen to how the birds see, uh, call out. And yeah, I'm learning so much more about birds around the world now. Having the podcast, I mean, the po having the podcast has been one of the best things I could ever have done because it's put me in touch with people around the world who share 
uh, my love of nature, who share my love of birds. Some of the people that listen know masses more than I do. And it's, you know, quite, it's quite uh, sort of quite, I can't think of the word, but it makes me feel in awe of them. And yet they're willing to share their knowledge. And then there's other people who don't know very much at all. And they're learning from these people. You know, we're all coming together as a community. And it's just, I'm learning a lot about individual species. I'm learning about what people see. And another thing that I've learned, and I, I, <laughs> I feel, again, you can go through life not really having an, you may have an open mind, but you've not necessarily followed um, paths of knowledge. And I'm, I'm following those paths now. But for example, I'm really, really becoming aware of what migration is. Now, I knew what migration was before. But in the last year or so, you know, I've got listeners in Finland and Serbia and in Eastern Europe telling me about the birds that they see at some time of the year. And then those birds migrate and it makes a big, big difference to the birds that they have in their area. And then I'm hearing about people in America who uh, live on the flyways and tell me about, you know, how, how important the fall and the spring migrations are. And the absolute mass of birds that you might see at any one time if you're living on a flyway. And that's led me to learn about, you know, the, the, the radar maps that they keep showing, like, for example, when the hummingbirds are all starting to return, those that, that migrate, seeing those absolute masses of, of birds just all on, you know, just a few nights in the year. And the whole wonder of migration. I was just listening this week to a talk about nightingales, which is a, um, a small songbird that we have in Europe. And some of them breed in the UK and, and, and another population breeds further over in Europe. And they actually live in Africa for the rest of the year. And they travel sort of ridiculous amounts of miles in just a few weeks to go from their wintering locations and they're tiny tiny birds they weigh you know maybe an ounce it's just or a few ounces but it's just how is this possible I mean it, it's mind-blowing when you when you understand those things and I'm learning all of that through people that are listening to the show telling me about it me wanting to find out more about the things they're telling you know there's just so much to learn there really is so much to learn and all of that is just it's a wonderful path to be on. I'm just very, very thankful that I found this now. I wish I'd started it 10 years ago, but no, I'm I'm really happy with the way that the show is going and the, the people that I'm connecting with and the things that I'm learning through that. And I hope at the end of it that you're or through it, I'm making a little bit of a change, but that maybe I'm having that kind of um, domino effect that I'll have an effect on someone, they'll have an effect and, and we'll all have an effect together. And well, that's what positive imprints are for sure. <laughs> now, uh, oh, oh, and before we go on, I, I thought I would mention to you, I think you listened to it already. Did you listen to the podcast that I have with the Kingeries? Are they the people that started the Audubon? I, I, I listened to that just recently. Yes. Okay. I thought, oh. Yeah. I think that's one of the ways we had connected actually was through that. And they are so interesting and they have some of the same comments that you have made and I think it's because we each when we as you used your words earlier when you reach a certain point in your life and you're understanding the world around you in a different and very important aspect of saving 
the planet and saving species, then you start to do things and practice things and also preach differently than what you did before. And I, I loved the couple that was on, and they did start the Audubon in Colorado. So do you have, in United Kingdom, do you have organizations? Because you, you mentioned Cornell University, which is a great website to go to with regard to birds. And, of course, Audubon, which is fantastic, and they have so many manuals. So what do you have in the U.K. that is offered there? So we have the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, the RSPB. That's our main big society. We also have the British Trust for Ornithology, and they run they run courses. They also do an awful lot of research into birds. So what they will do is like a lot of surveys. And I took part for many years in the breeding bird survey. So you would have you know a very specific route that you would have to walk, and you would be recording all the birds that you could hear at that time of year and you do it over a, you know, a couple of different visits so that each year your data would build up. I've recently got into, and they also have um, a sort of garden bird watch that you can send your data into as well. So part of, you know, watching and, and enjoying, as I said, for many, many years, all of that joy was very internalized. It was just for me, you know, it wasn't for anyone else, but I've learned that actually you know, while you're watching birds, you can be recording data, which is really useful for the science community. And it, it gives evidence for things that, are, you know, for, for processes that are needed. So I now record my sightings using eBird and on the Garden Bird Watch as well. I take part in various surveys throughout, throughout the year as well. But also just for fun, we in the... Um, in my group, the the, the, the the sort of group of the show, we get together and we do group bird watches. And so around the world, we'll just watch what birds we're seeing, but we'll share it with each other because there's something amazing about hearing, you know, for this same period of time, what people around the world are seeing and hearing. And it's realising that for all of us, some of us are, are thinking, you know what, these are just our local birds, you know, <laughs> why am I even looking at them? But you know, when you realise that the next person you speak to, they've got totally different birds and, and to them, your birds are special and, and interesting. So, you know, it's it's taking time to notice all of those things. But, yeah, we have um, great organisations here that look into, you know, they, they do lots of research. They own land and um, preserve those areas, uh, much like Audubon um, does. And you also have your like your national reserves and various areas we have things like that. we've got the wildlife trusts and they have parcels of land that they manage and uh, look after to help the wildlife that lives in those areas I think you know you're lucky in well as I was say you're lucky in some respects because you're such a vast continent that you have so many different habitats and, and you know we, we're very small but actually within our our borders we have places that are still quite wild and the important thing is to try to manage those and getting everyone on board with managing them so that we don't lose species anymore. You know, we need to. And there are, there, you know, I'm learning that there are processes that we can make in terms of, you know, individual changes that we can do, but also on a, a countrywide scale, things that we can choose to do to ensure that species don't get lost. And it's important to keep wildlife at a higher level in sort of the economy rather than just be thinking about money all the time, building all the time, you know, thinking in terms of 
what can we get today because it's the future is important and as well if we use all our resources now we lose so much in the future and, and we don't always know what that impact is going to be when we wipe out a population of something so yeah definitely these organizations are doing great things within the country but also around the world you know linking up with other organizations so that there's more of a global thought about because especially like with migration Yes, we'll see those birds here for a few weeks in the summer, but there's an effect on what happens where they are wintering. And if we don't understand that, so for example, I was hearing this talk about the nightingales this week, and that because of global warming, there are changes to the insect population. Well, as they start to make their migration north to come back to us for the summer, if they mistime it, or if there's a bad storm that comes through and kills off all the insects where they would have their staging points, they don't then have enough to eat to make the the energy to get the energy that they need to continue on the migration. If when they get to their migration sites, if they get to their sites where they've traditionally bred and the types of shrubbery or the types of vegetation that they need to nest in has been stripped out for whatever reason, they don't have, you know, they spend valuable energy trying then to find alternate sites that might not be in the same location so that year they've not been able to breed and so gradually you know they've, they've hit all of those problems on the way then they go back to their wintering sites if in those wintering sites there are problems with hunting or habitat loss then they're getting degraded at that end as well so it's having an impact so if we only look at oh well, you know we have that tree in the garden and they nest there and we're only thinking locally. We're not thinking about what can we do to assist along the flyway, along the place where they live normally, you know, understanding that, you know, there's climate change and that's having an effect. So that might be pushing species to have to look further for food, for example, and then that's going to have an impact on them as well. We need to understand how everything is connected. And I think we've spent a long time, as I have, looking internally just at what affects us. And we're having now very much to think globally and to think outside of ourselves and to think outside of our countries and to think how can we work together to save the planet, you know, to save the things on the planet. And I think that's, I don't think it's just because I got older that I've realised that. I think we're at a time now where it's even the young people understand that and they are the ones that are driving, thinking about the future. I think this is just an important thing that we all need to get on board with. It can't be something that we just assume next generation will deal with. You know, we all have to deal with it now. Susie, you're incredibly, incredibly <laughs> <laughs> inspiring. And you are certainly sharing what is much needed around the world, and that is wisdom with regard <laughs> to the future. Are there... You've been inspiring, and I don't know, do you have any last-minute inspiring words that you want to share? Look internally first. That's okay. It's okay to go out, look at the birds, enjoy them for yourself, get some mental space just listening and looking. That's okay. It's not selfish. It's a good thing to do because listening to birds is really helpful, helpful mentally. Um, however, don't let it stop there. Think about sharing your joy. Think about sharing your passion and think about what that journey might mean going forward. So it's okay to start 
internally and just enjoying nature for yourself, but don't let it stop there. Think about then opening yourself up to sharing that knowledge, sharing that joy and, and making sure that we all appreciate what's out there. Lizzie Buttress, thank you so much for sharing nature's music <laughs> and also for reminding us that hope is one thing, but becoming active is what is much needed. And that does bring a better and more realistic hope is when people become active and share in the joy Susie Buttress, thank you so much for being here on Your Positive Imprint. Thank you. Your Positive Imprint, what's your PI? Next week's episode will be a short How to Order a Your Positive Imprint t-shirt. And my next new guest will be on March 1st, Andy Friedrichs of Norway. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast platform now. Your Positive Imprint, what's your PI?